Good morning. My name is Rob, and I'm on staff here at St. Pete's. I'm on our pastoral team. Can my gain come down a little bit, please? Thank you. Um, as a church, we've been going through, actually, quickly, on the whole plaid thing and me and Phil wearing the same outfit. Um, it just happens sometimes. And I'd like to joke that we had a memo. We didn't really have a memo, but maybe we should start one up, just either to intentionally coordinate what we wear or not to. Well, Phil, we'll touch base this week. Thank you. Uh, as a church, we've been going through a series called Encounters of Goodness. Uh, for the last few months, we've been exploring stories of people coming face to face with God through burning bushes, pillars of fire, or whispers in the wind. And in these encounters, we've discovered time and time again that God is good. These stories have given us a framework and a lens to see how God is at work in the world. And what we've seen is that God seeks to relate with us as he's at work in the world. He loves us. God is good, and he loves us. But what we've also been seeing is that his love and his goodness, it isn't just for us. It's for the whole world, too. And through us, God wants to love the world. And he's forming us and shaping us to be the kind of people that other people encounter his goodness through. God is forming and shaping us so that others can encounter his goodness through us. And he does that in a few ways, through practices that help us to walk in his ways and to reflect his character and his goodness through us. And today, I want to look at one of those practices. It's the practice of prayer. But before I do that, what happens when you pray? What happens when you pray? I want to begin with something a little bit different for us this morning, and I hope that's okay. Uh, we're going to try to do an imaginative exercise together. Is that okay? Can we do that? One thumbs up, two thumbs up. Great. That's enough. That's all I need. I want, you to, I want to invite you just to close your eyes for a second. Close your eyes, and I want to, you to imagine what happens when you pray. Imagine and picture in your mind you're somewhere quiet and you're praying. Picture yourself saying a prayer. And as you picture yourself praying, imagine you can visually see your prayers coming up out of your mouth. Maybe they look like letters and streams of words floating in the air. Or perhaps they're little notes scribbled on paper, folded up into paper airplanes. Maybe they look like musical notes floating through the air or streams of colors and emotion flashing through the sky. Imagine you can visually see your prayers as you pray. And now we're going to take a moment to follow our prayers. Follow your prayers as they come up out of your mouth and watch where they go. What do you imagine happens to your prayers? What do you see happening? I'm going to bring us back now. You can open your eyes. I've done a similar exercise with a few of you. We actually did this in catechism this past year uh, when we were talking about prayer. And it was so interesting to hear what different people saw as they, they tried to do that exercise and as they engaged in it, as they imagined their prayers going up to God. People pray all over the world. No matter what faith people have, there's something about prayer in their faith. And even people who don't have a a faith of their own, often say that they pray. It's this really 
weird common human experience to pray. And the odds are really good that most of us in this room pray. But I wonder how often you've stopped to consider what happens when you pray. During our time together today, I want to do two things. First, I want to stoke our imaginations and cultivate a vision for what it means to pray. And second, I want to begin to equip us to pray. I want to stoke our imaginations and cultivate a vision for prayer. And then I want to begin to equip us to pray. And to stoke our imaginations this morning, I want to turn to the book of Revelation. I invite you to look with me if you've got a Bible. Uh, Turn to Revelation chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some Bibles in the back at the table. And if you don't have a Bible at home, please just take one of those on your way out. That's just our gift to you. Uh, You can also open up your app and your phone. And if I see a little glow on your face, I'm assuming you're looking at the Bible today, not Twitter. Um, Everything will also be on the screen behind me. Revelation 8. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and held it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now, Revelation has a bit of a reputation. Uh, if it wasn't apparent from what I just read, this is a weird book. And, and if you were here last week too, you would also know that Lloyd preached from Revelation last week. And I don't know about you, but when I start hearing that a church is preaching through Revelation, I can get a little nervous. Like, what, what, what are you guys doing? Are, are you okay? Because Revelation is weird. And oftentimes, I find people who read Revelation sometimes start to become weird after they've read Revelation. They start interpreting the times and all that kind of weird, kooky stuff that sometimes Christians do. Uh, There was a Christian thinker at the turn of the 20th century named G.K. Chesterton. And he once wrote, Though St. John the Evangelist saw many strange monsters in his vision, he saw no creature so wild as one of his own commentators. Yeah. Now, the book of Revelation, it, it doesn't really teach us anything new about, in terms of ideas of how to follow Jesus. Instead, it has this visceral way of using words to breathe fresh air into our faith. It blows out the dust and the cobwebs and, and helps us to perceive in a fresh way. Revelation serves to revive our imagination for what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The pastor Eugene Peterson once wrote, Revelation takes truth that is eroded to platitude by endless usage and sets it in motion before us in an animated and impassioned dance of ideas. And I don't know about you, but the thought of moving beyond the the kind of the religious platitudes and spiritual sayings and having a revived imagination for what it means and looks like to be a Christian, that sounds exactly like what my heart and soul need. And to be honest, it's been difficult for me to pray lately. And I think I personally need a revived imagination for what it means to pray. When a fire is starting to fade out and smolder, you you stoke it 
with a stick to keep it burning. So this morning, let's let Revelation stoke our imaginations to what it means to pray. Let's look back at Revelation in verse 1. We read, When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now, what is going on? Earlier in Revelation, John, the guy who's having this vision, he sees a scroll in the right hand of the one who is seated on the throne. And this scroll, it's sealed with seven seals. They're kind of like wax seals, like the kind of wax seals you put on a fancy invitation. Um, when Tara and I were preparing to get married, she spent all this time making these wax seals for the invitations. And they looked amazing. And we, we mailed them all out, and they went out. And there was one that got returned to us. We, we had the wrong address. And as it came back to us, I picked it up and looked at it, and I noticed that the wax seal had come off. And I don't know whether there's just like a machine in the whole postal service, which is too rough and just rumbles all the wax seals off, or maybe they hire someone just to peel them off. I don't know. Once upon a time, a wax seal was a secure way to send something to someone else. Now it's just kind of like a fancy little thing that falls off in the mail. But John saw a scroll. And on this scroll, it had seven seals. And in the Bible, seven is a significant number. It's the number of completion. And it suggests that there's something about this scroll that's complete. There's something about this scroll that, that's significant for us. And we need to pay attention. Biblical scholars say that this scroll is the scroll of history. It contains the meaning of history. All of it. It contains God's plan to, for bringing the purpose of creation to its intended fulfillment, for how he will bring heaven to earth. That's kind of a big deal, right? Like, I don't know about you, but I would be amazed to read that scroll and to, to see what it's all about and just to, to read it for myself. We first learn about this scroll in chapter 5. John writes, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept, because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. The angels of heaven were looking for someone who could take the scroll but no one could even peek inside of it. It was sealed shut and it couldn't be opened. It's almost like the, the legend of King Arthur and the sword and the stone. That was the, the right, only the rightful king could pull the sword out of the stone and claim the kingdom for his own. No one was worthy to open the scroll. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth. And then in verse 5 we read, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll of its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. John sees the lamb standing and looking as though it had been slain. He sees Jesus. And Jesus goes up to this angel and reaches out and takes the scroll. He alone is worthy to take the scroll that no one else can take. He takes the scroll and he holds it and he begins to open it. 
And in the following chapters, Jesus begins to open these seals of the scroll one by one. And as he opens them one after another, he's opening and unsealing the scroll of history. And incidentally, now you can understand why people get a little bit weird when they read Revelation. But we're not interpreting the times this morning. That's probably not a good use of anyone's time. We're exploring what happens when we pray. Our passage picks up right here at the moment of removing that seventh seal. Do you see what's happening? Do you feel it? It's like when Frodo takes that ring into Mount Doom in Mordor. Or it's like when Harry is facing off against Voldemort in that final face-off outside of Hogwarts. It's like in the Great, great British Bake Off when Chiggs, Christelle, and Giuseppe spent four and a half grueling hours <laughs> making their ultimate showstopper challenge, making a Mad Hatter tea thing filled with cakes of four different kinds of savory and sweet, and then they put them before Paul and Prue, and then somehow they had to figure out who's won. There's a few of you who are laughing, so there's a few of you who know the Great British Bake Off, and I'm so glad it's not just me. But it sounds like it's more like the Brits, so I won't use that again. But this is the climax. There's a palpable tension in the air. The seventh seal is about to be opened. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. The scroll is opened, and there's silence. A hush falls over heaven. Heaven's throne room, where angels and the living creatures gather around and sing songs of never-ending praise, singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. That song which resounds for eternity, that endless praise is hushed. Heaven's throne room falls quiet. The angels finish their song to make space for an offering. And in the silence, in the waiting, there's another angel that comes forward. In verse 3, we read that this angel comes forward carrying a golden censer. And a censer is this little container for dispersing incense. It hangs from a chain and you swing it back and forth to allow the smell of incense to spread and to fill the air. This angel carries a censer filled with incense and it comes forward towards the throne room of heaven amidst the hush and the quiet. We read, another angel but a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. The angel offers incense to accompany the prayers of all God's people. And the prayers of the saints rise up before God. This is the climactic moment. It's not the plan of history being revealed. It's not the offering, of, it is the offering of the prayers of the saints. It's the hearing and answering of our prayers. The hearing and answering of our prayers is the climax of history. Our prayers never fall on deaf ears. Each and every time one of our prayers is caught and held and is offered up in heaven before the throne of God. And each and every prayer is brought before the Father that offered up amidst the hush of heaven. Heaven stops to make space for our prayers to hear them. Heaven stops so that God can hear you pray. 
You see, prayer is a priority in heaven. Your prayers, my prayers, heaven stops in order to hear them. And our prayers, they're beautiful. God listens to our prayers while smelling the pleasant aroma of angelic incense. God listens to us pray while smelling his favorite scent. And I personally, incense isn't my favorite scent. I, I would have chosen like the smell of freshly, cone, freshly cut grass in, in like the fresh rain, or I would have chosen the smell of like freshly baked cookies. Because there's just something about those smells which just kind of relax me and soothe me. They, they invigorate me and refresh me. Elsewhere in scripture, though, we're told that incense is a pleasing aroma to God. God listens to us pray while smelling his favorite scent, this pleasing aroma. And the angel offered up much incense. We could probably even say he offered up copious amounts of incense. And the smoke of the incense encompasses and envelops our prayers as they rise up before God. Did you know that God delights in listening to you? The delightful aroma covers and surrounds our prayers, and he delights in receiving our prayers. God delights in your prayers. My daughter Gemma, is, she's four months old now, and whenever I come home from work, I pick her up. She can't run to me yet, so I, just, I kind of pick her up, and, and when she looks at me, she smiles. And she starts jabbering away in this like baby goo-goo-ga-ga noise, and it's as though, it feels as though she's trying to tell me about her day. And I just get this big smile on my face. I get this big smile as she's jabbering away, and I delight to listen to her noises that I don't understand. God listens to your prayers, each and every one of them. And when you start talking to him, he stops and turns around to listen. And as you pour out your heart before God, he listens to you with deliberate and delightful attention. He delights to listen to you when you pray. He cares so much about your prayers that he causes the unending songs of praise that surround his throne room to hit pause for a moment so that he can hear you. Heaven stops to make space to hear the prayers of the saints. Heaven falls still so that God can hear and answer your prayers. I wonder, has this picture from Revelation begun to stoke that imagination in you for prayer? When you're imagining your prayers rising up before God, did you imagine anything quite so spectacular and cosmic and climactic as this? Heaven stops and falls still so that God can listen to you pray. Those pleas and petitions, the desires of your heart, God delights to listen to you bring those things before him. And I feel amazed when I consider this. When, when I hear that God stops to listen to my prayers, that he delights to listen to me pray, it, it's staggering. But sometimes I don't feel like he answers all my prayers the way that I want him to. Uh, do any of you remember the movie Bruce Almighty? Yeah, it's not that great, is it? Um, the, Someone, Curtis objects. Um, the, the premise is essentially that God lets this guy Bruce run things for a week. And it doesn't go well. And there's this moment where Bruce figures out how to turn everyone's prayer requests into these emails, just so he doesn't have to keep listening to them in his ears. 
But then he gets frustrated with all these emails that he's inundated with, and, and so he just sets up this auto-reply. Yes. And the next day, thousands of people end up winning the lottery. And the multi-million dollar prize gets split between all of them, and all they get is $17. They're not very happy about it. And I know that there's some things that I've asked God for in my life that I'm actually kind of glad he didn't say yes to. Um, some of those have been sillier things, like, like praying for my alma mater, NC State, to finally beat Duke at basketball. <laughs> That's happened once. Maybe more than once. But some of them were more serious. Like dreams and hopes of what I wanted to do with my life and career opportunities that I, I wanted and wished for. And when I look back now, like some of those actually I'm kind of glad I didn't get. But there's some other things I've prayed for. Like friends and family members to come to faith. Or prayers for healing for people I know who are just suffering. And I don't know why God hasn't answered those the way that I want him to. Many of us know the feeling of unanswered prayer. Those prayers, you're like, God, why haven't you answered this? It seems like you should. Why haven't you? And often the response that I tend to hear from people is kind of this well-meaning spiritual platitude of, of vague hopefulness. I don't know why God doesn't answer all our prayers the way that we want him to. And maybe one day we need to come back to this topic of prayer as a church and just sit with some of these hard questions like this and just push into them and press into them. But when prayers don't get answered the way we want, they still rise up before God in heaven. They rise up with sweet incense. They still come before the altar in front of the throne and and God still delights to hear those prayers. He delights to hear those prayers. And he may not always answer our prayers the way we want, as we want, when we want. But the prayers of the saints do get heard. Our prayers are heard. And in our scene in Revelation, we see that there is a response. As we continue reading, it says, The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled with the fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. God responds to our prayers. He hears them and, and he answers them. God responds to the prayers of his people with the outpouring of his powerful presence on the earth. Thunder rumbles. Lightning flashes. Earthquakes tremble. The prayers of the saints are flung back down towards the earth, filled with the fire of heaven. And God's presence crashes down on the world in power and in might. The imagery harkens back to the book of Exodus when God's people come up before Mount Sinai. And before God spoke and gave Moses the Ten Commandments, there was thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and a whole mountain trembled greatly. We're told Mount Sinai was covered in smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. God responds to our prayers with his powerful presence. The same presence seen at Mount Sinai 
but he came down to his people and spoke to them and made a covenant with them that he would be their God and that they would be his people. Ultimately, God's response to our prayers is to come down from heaven and to give to us himself. I said earlier that I wanted to stoke our imaginations and cultivate a vision of what it means to pray. So what happens when you pray? When you pray, your prayers rise up before God in heaven. Heaven stops and makes space for your voice to be heard. It's the priority of heaven. It's the climax of history. A hush falls over heaven in order to listen to your prayers rise up before God. Angels present your petitions to God and adorn your prayers with incense. And God hears your requests. And he delights in your prayers. And in power, he replies. He gives you his presence, his awesome, powerful, covenant-making presence. No wonder the pastor Samuel Chadwick once said, Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, he mocks our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. Prayer is rich and beautiful and it's powerful. But how do we pray? For the rest of the time we have, I want to begin to equip us to pray. Because we have this vision, this ridiculous vision from Revelation. But so often when we're going through life, it's really easy to forget that vision. And to lose sight of it. When we're on the ground, how do we pray? I recently came across this prayer by Flannery O'Connor. She writes, Dear God, I cannot love you the way I want to. You are the slim crescent of a moon that I see, and myself is the earth's shadow that keeps me from seeing all the moon. What I'm afraid of, dear God, is that my self-shadow will grow so large that it blocks the whole moon and that I will judge myself by the shadow that is nothing. I do not know you, God, because I am in the way. Flannery O'Connor shows us that we can sometimes get in the way. She says that she was the shadow of the earth that kept her from seeing the fullness of the moon. And she realized that she didn't know God. She didn't love God the way that she wanted to because she was in the way. How do we see all the moon? And not just that slim crescent and that sliver. What do we do to get out of the way when we pray? The way Flannery O'Connor got out of the way was to bring her whole self before God in prayer. She brought herself, all of it, all the feelings, all the thoughts and cares, distractions and desires, hopes and dreams, she brought her whole self before God in prayer. I love that. And I think that's actually a really biblical thing. I think she learned that from somewhere in the Bible. I think she learned it by praying the Psalms. The Psalms are this book in the Old Testament. It's kind of like a prayer journal. It's 150 prayers and songs. It's kind of like the church's greatest hits. And they're recorded and written down to show us how to bring ourselves before God in prayer. 
and they hold nothing back. They were prayers written and declared on the ground in reality amidst all the struggle, all the toil, all the, the drudgery of life. And they encompass the whole totality of human life and emotion. The Psalms teach us that we don't need to be clean and tidy in order to come to God to pray. And we don't need to filter ourselves when we come to him. Let's take Psalm 6 as an example. It begins, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? The psalm was written by King David, and he was exhausted and in anguish. He was in a situation that had been dragging on for so long. And you can hear that in, in, in these words he has, the exhaustion and the desperation. He says, how long, Lord? How long? He continues, turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. He's asking God to intervene and to end this plight that has been going on for so long. And he's weeping and groaning from the sorrow. You see, David wasn't afraid to bring his, his tears before God. And he'd been up through the night weeping. He needed to bring his tears before God. He had to come to God in prayer with these tears. And then there's this turn at the end. Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly, suddenly be put to shame. He's convinced that God has heard him. And he expresses his anger and his frustration, his indignation against his enemies. He calls for God to overwhelm them with shame and anguish. David isn't afraid to express his anger to God either. He doesn't stuff it down and pretend it's not there. He names it. He brings it before God in prayer. And actually, in some other places in the Psalms, he says things more shocking than this. In Psalm 3, he says, Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. It's violent. It's kind of shocking, especially for us living here in Canada. We don't do that. We just kind of passively, aggressively just kind of walk around you and hold it in and pretend that we aren't actually angry with you. But David's bringing his anger to God in prayer. He's not hiding any part of himself. And the Psalms are filled with people expressing their sorrow and anger and expressing their longing and desires, expressing their joys and their praises, expressing their fears and their doubts. Everything, everything gets expressed through the Psalms. 
The Psalms show us that we can bring everything to God in prayer. And they don't just show us that we have permission to bring all these things to God. They, they specifically invite us to do it. Because the prayers that rise up before God in heaven, when the throne room is quiet, it includes everything. So how do we begin to pray? Well, we don't hold back. We present all of who we are before God, and we present ourselves as we are. We present our thoughts and our feelings, our hopes and our dreams, our doubts and our fears. We bring it all before him. And if you've been struggling to do that, I, I understand. But can I invite you just to try reading the Psalms? There's so many ways to pray, but this afternoon or tomorrow, you just flip to a random psalm. Or you can begin at Psalm 1 and just sit and dwell in it. Maybe try writing it down. Try and summarize it. Try saying it. Speak it. And bring that to God. Bring that before God and say, can this be my prayer? Because the Psalms teach you how to bring the realities of your life to God in prayer. And the Psalms teach us how to pray on the ground when we lose sight of that vision of heaven stopping to listen. The Psalms give us a way to pray in the realities of life. And I know that maybe praying a psalm right now is also a bit much of an ask, and that's okay. If, if that's you, can I suggest two other prayers? The prayers that I use a lot. The first actually comes from uh, the Gospel of Mark. This guy says to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. The second prayer I use a lot to more than I care to admit, is God help. Help. I need help. And he hears those prayers. In fact, when he hears those prayers, they come up before him in heaven. Because when we pray, our prayers rise up before God and a hush falls over heaven. And God listens to you. He listens to you and he delights in listening to you. He delights to listen to you as you present yourself to him. And he answers you with his powerful presence. Let's come before him now. As our prayers rise up with angelic incense before him, let's pray.